0: a terrier who is going to hunt it'd be like me letting a greyhound off leash when there's a rabbit running by i mean come on it's absolutely inappropriate to expect that a sighthound is not going to go after a rabbit
1: Welcome to another episode of My Zen Pet, the first podcast with music for pets, specifically music for pet stress. Hi, I'm Lisa Spector, your pet calming maestro. My Juilliard degree has gone to the dogs and I couldn't be more thrilled. We're trying something a little different today on our episode instead of our usual short podcast with music for pet stress, which you can find in any of the previous 70 plus episodes, I am bringing you an interview I had in our Dog Gone Calm Club. So it's a little bit longer, but stay tuned because it is a bit jaw-dropping, the things you're going to learn about your dog in this interview with Michelle Stern. She is the founder of Pooch Parenting, which brings peace of mind for parents with dogs. However, our interview today is not about that. It, it uses her other skills and certifications as well. In addition to Michelle being a behavior counselor and a certified professional dog trainer, she's also a licensed family dog mediator. And If you don't know what that is, stay tuned. Before we go into our interview, I will tell you that she refers to a book that at the time of the interview I hadn't read, and now a month or so later I have. It's a fabulous book called Meet Your Dog by Kim Brophy, and there's also a short online course on Meet Your Dog, so I will leave a link to that in the show notes. So stay tuned, and without further ado, here is our interview with Michelle Stern. We are in the doggone calm club and we have, we are hon- honored to have Michelle Stern with us. So I know Michelle from a entrepreneur group we're in and I actually know her as. Someone who's she has pooch parenting, someone's very experienced with working with families and dogs, but she has these other skills as well. She has more initials after her name than I can memorize or repeat, so I'll let her share those. But before we do that, Michelle, um, tell us who is in your pet household, your canine household, and other pet households as well. Sure,
0: well, on my lap at present is Pippin. Pippin is my border terrier. He is about two years and eight months old, and he is my first ever small breed dog. He's about eighteen pounds. For those of you who don't know what border terriers are, they're um, they're awesome. I mean, I think they're the best terrier around. Um, but partly, I say that because they have an off switch, which many terriers do not. So he is a really nice dog to live with because he's fun and he wants to do things, but he also is happy to just hang out much of the time. He's laying down now. I can't promise he will stay calm. This is kind of the witching hour for us, Um, but they've both been fed. And then I have behind me, let me see, uh, Barley. Barley is... Uh, 13 and a half, and she is a 70-pound mixed-breed dog with some shepherd, probably. I never did her DNA. And she is one of the dogs that helped me to become a dog trainer we all have one of those i've had more than one of those but she's the one who finally (laughs) made that happen that
1: always happens that's it good it
0: is yes so
1: tell us in addition to being a certified dog trainer and all your certifications around that tell us what else you do in the dog world oh my
0: gosh well it's it's expanding which is fun um I used to teach at our local shelter and I, I stopped doing that, um, for a variety of reasons, but I, I specialize in working with families who have children and dogs. I was a high school teacher before, and I have two of my own children They're My son is turning 20 tomorrow and my daughter's almost 22. And I had a cooking school for children for eight years. And so I have a really unique set of experience working with kids for, you know, of all ages, a lot of young children. Um, And, So anyway, so bringing that all together is really fun. It's a really fun specialty because parents need a lot more support than they're getting most of the time. And it's really overwhelming to have kids and dogs at the same time. Um, But today, since you asked about the dog world that I'm in, um, today, Pippin and I had our very first ever class in a new sport called barn hunt, which essentially is the dog using their nose to find a rat and the rat is safe, no, no harm comes to the rat. Um, but it was really remarkable. There, there are bales of straw piled up and there's tunnels and things like that. And so he had to first meet the rat, which was the first part of it because he had never seen a rat before. And at first he was really unsure about what to expect and he he was a little anxious, but it was then like the light switch turned on. And he just went to town and he got so excited. He could not contain himself. He was barking his head off. And I practically, I wish they made little rat earplugs, you know, that I could like give the little rats earplugs. Cause that was, that was really the only part that I felt was probably really uncomfortable for the rat was having his voice so close to them. Right. Um, But it was great. He was climbing through all the straw bales and And just to see him light up and, and really do, and this actually leads into what we're going to talk about today, actually, it's kind of perfect segue, but he, he was doing what he was bred to do for hundreds of years is to flush out vermin, you know, and in this case he found the vermin, which was an adorable pet rat who's very loved, by the way. The woman has like 30 of them in her, she calls it her rattery. And she has, you know, 30 rats who she loves like crazy and spoils them. And they were very relaxed. Even with Pippin yelling at them, they were just like hanging out, grooming themselves. It It was really interesting. I thought it would be more stressful for them. And I was really conflicted about it. But what made me so excited was watching him do a job that he was bred to do. And one of the things that you brought me on to talk about today was the idea that a lot of people struggle with their dogs because they think their dogs have these behavior problems, when in reality, the most people really um, don't understand that the dog is maybe not having all of its needs met based on a variety of components and genetic predispositions are one of those things. So if a dog is bred to be a guard dog or a livestock guardian dog, so let's take a livestock guardian dog, for example, you Lisa live on five acres and, um, you know, there are probably farms all around you. And when a farm has livestock, And where you live, I know because I'm from California too, that there can be mountain lions and coyotes and all kinds of predators. And so a lot of people who have sheep or goats, for example, will have some great Pyrenees or Anatolian shepherds or whatever in their area to protect these animals from these predators. And they do an amazing job of it. But to do that job, to protect sheep or goats in a big piece of property, one of the things they need to do is roam the property and they roam the perimeter of that property. And so now what happens is we get a dog that's maybe a Pyrenees or an Anatolian shepherd mix at the local shelter. And they're so cute. Let me just say, they're so cute. And so families adopt them. And I mean, why wouldn't you? It's so adorable. And you bring it home and then they get really frustrated because it Leaves the property or it roams or it runs away, right?
1: And, or it's over with the Great Pyrenees here in this area that they yeah. like, they're, you know, you you might perceive they're stubborn, but they're really like, they're doing their job. They're laying down and they're watching the property and yeah, that's their job. Exactly. perceive it as, oh, they're stubborn. No, they're not.
0: Yeah, or maybe they're overprotective because their job is to be a guardian. So if the UPS truck comes and the dog tries to you know, run over and yell at the UPS driver and tries to make him leave, you may get a call, like as a professional dog trainer, I may get a call from somebody that says, my dog is aggressive or my dog roams. And runs away and I say, yeah, but honey, like, look who you adopted. You adopted a dog who is bred to roam and to protect. So for me as a dog and child specialist, um, if you've, you know, if you've got kids and you want to have playdates at your house, I mean, this is going to be trouble because it's hard for parents to drop off a child when the dog tries to keep you away. And you're never going to feel safe dropping your kid off at a house where it looks like there's a ferocious beast at the door. Now, of course we know it's not a ferocious beast. We know this dog is just doing what it was bred to do. Right. And so sometimes it's really just a lot of setting appropriate expectations and shifting people's mindsets so that they can start to really appreciate who the dog really is. And those things suddenly don't seem like behavior problems anymore. They just seem like behaviors, right? Right. It's only a problem when our expectations are not to understand it. Right.
1: So how do we change our expectations then?
0: well education really is the best thing that you can do you know so I'm part of a new movement um, that I am so incredibly excited about which is called family dog mediation which makes me sound like a therapist which I kind of am I mean if you a think lawyer. I mean I'm coming in and I'm mediating i'm I'm I am representing the dog side of things and I'm translating it to the human. I love it. I didn't know so really what that was. I it is, yeah. It. So it's called a family dog mediation. And basically, what it is, is we are taking applied animal ethology, which is basically ethology is behavior in the wild. And dogs are like, we have to look at them as captive animals, unfortunately. I mean, for better or for worse, we have taken these animals and we've brought them into our homes. And if you could imagine, uh, like a cheetah in a china shop or a bull in a china shop, that's kind of what some of our dogs' lives are like, is that you're taking, you know, let's say that Anatolian Shepherd and you're putting it in an apartment maybe, you know, and that poor dog is not able to express its natural behaviors right? Um, so family dog mediation looks at a variety of components of what makes a dog a dog. So if you're ready, I can dive into what those are. Sure, unless. absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's and just four- for
1: Everyone else, we'll know, we're, I'm going to uh, have Michelle keep talking and then the second half of it, we'll have you ask questions.
0: Yeah, great. Um, so there are four main components and we call them the legs, the legs of the dog, right? L. E, G, S. Of course, that's N. And uh, what do you call that? Anachronism? Is that what's the right word? Anachronism. Yeah. Thank Anachronism. you. I yeah. Okay. So I'm going to go through what they are and then we can talk about what they stand for. So legs. L is learning, the dog's learning history. E is the dog's environment. G is the dog's genetics. S is the dog's self, right? That every Animal as an individual. So I'll just give you a brief description of what each one of these actually means. So, learning history has to do with everything that a dog has been exposed to from birth. So, what is good in the world? What is bad in the world? What is unsafe? What is safe? Who can you trust? When have you been rewarded? Have you been punished? Um, you know, so if jumping on your owner, gets you attention, then maybe you've learned that you can jump on the owner, right? That kind of thing. You've learned that. Learning can be positive and it can be negative, right? And so all of these early experiences up until today are your learning history, okay? We can talk more about how to influence that later.
1: The E... Is environment. Before you to the E, can I just ask a question about the learning? First, Does yes. it also include what the dog hasn't learned, what they haven't been exposed to yet? They might be fearful because they haven't been exposed to a man who wears glasses when they're a puppy. No, um,
0: not, not necessarily. I mean, that has to do with socialization. That's a really good question. Let me think about that. Okay. Let's get back okay. to that because okay. that is a really good question. Socialization is really complex. And I want to, We remind me, let's talk about yeah. that. Because that's super yeah. important for people okay. to know how to help their dogs. Right. Um, and there's only a very brief developmental window actually, in which officially that can happen. Okay. E is the environment. So that's the environment. Um, in which they find themselves now but it's also the environmental influences of things that they've been exposed to before so if let's say again let's go to a shelter dog example let's say you have a dog who is abandoned maybe treated horribly she's pregnant she's mistreated life is hard she's maybe had lack of nutrition and she ends up in a shelter and she has a litter of puppies those puppies have been growing inside of a mother who is experiencing stress. That basically releases stress hormones that influence the baby as they're developing. So that environment, that early environment, can influence their behavior down the line. So a puppy, for example, who's raised in the home of a really skilled breeder who's doing maybe what we call puppy culture, which is this really awesome uh, series of of strategies that you do to raise a puppy, to be resilient and strong and happy and healthy, right? Nutrition, environmental things like teaching them how to go around barriers and not be frustrated and, and not be scared to things. If you drop drop something by accident, those puppies kind of look at it and they're like, whatever, I'm fine. You know, that kind of thing. So you take a puppy bred like that with an amazing breeder, compare it to somebody who, you know, you find a dog who's abandoned and nursing puppies, probably a really different dog moving forward. Right. And so you can't necessarily just take any puppy and expect a perfect dog in the end, right? I say perfect dog in quotes because there's no such thing. But what I'm saying is, is that um, puppies are not clay and they're impacted by a variety of things, including this early environment in which they're gestated and how they're raised, right? What they're exposed to. So socialization, I think would likely fall into that category um, where we want as many positive interactions with the world the regular world you know what what does a jackhammer sound like what does a helicopter sound like what does a siren sound like but positive and we pair those with good things like treats and we let the dog tell us if they're comfortable if they're not comfortable and we back off if they're not you know so we're not causing pressure um, the G is genetics and that's kind of what I was talking about earlier with Pippin and his experience with barn hunt today where dogs, For hundreds of years, typically have been bred for certain jobs. So, historically, dogs were meant to do certain things rather than to just be pets, right? Or lap dogs, unless it's a toy breed, in which case that was their job. Their job was to keep your feet warm in bed or to sit on your lap and look fancy so that, you know. So, there's a dog called the Havanese that I'm a real big fan of. They're really, really nice dogs. And they came from Cuba, from Havana, which is why they're called Havanese. And they came from all over the world. But they think that the main purpose of these dogs was to elevate social status because they were fancy. And so these, these, um, I don't know. I guess highfalutin people would have these dogs and it would make them look a certain way because they would have these beautiful, you know, luxurious kind of fancy pets, right? They would also get weird things like monkeys from other countries. You know, people like to show off however they show off. But the Havanese was part of that type of culture where it's like, and they're really, really nice, really nice dogs, really good family pets. Um, and Then the S is the sense of self. And this is one that a lot of people forget about because we think, I say we, I don't mean any of us here because we know more, but like other people, we right, think right. that um, dogs should do things because we said so and they should do it because they want to please us and not because they deserve to be paid for their work, Right. Okay. We all disagree. We know we want to reward dogs for good behavior. We want to build strong relationships with our dogs because we love them. They're
1: like a part of our soul, right? Yeah. Um, God forbid you've been told the dog's doing that because it's dominant. Behavior.
0: Oh no. Yes. Not that, not the dominance. Um, but, but the sense of self is really important because it takes into account a dog's personality, takes into account the dog's health, the dog's allergies, the dog's preferences of one sport over another sport, you love agility with your baby. My dog apparently loves barn hunt, what I just discovered today, right? Right. So taking into account that every dog is an individual, right? Maybe you can feed your dog one food that gives my dog terrible gas. So obviously for my dog's S for the self, um, there's a different bio- biology going on than there is for you, right? So not all dogs are the same. And I think it's really important to remember that because when, when we try to have a really great relationship with our dog, unfortunately, some people like to compare this dog to their last dog of the same breed, or they think, well, my last dog never did this. Or, um, you know, when I was a kid the dog could just roam the neighborhood and it always came back and it never got into fights. But now my dog's getting into fights with everybody, you know, but that's because you have a different dog now than you had when you were a kid. And also the world is different than when you were a kid and it's not safe anymore for your dog to roam the streets. Like, Maybe things were different before, like lassie days, but it's not lassie days. Same as
1: families. When we were kids, we just like opened the door and went out and had play dates. You don't do that anymore.
0: Yeah. You could just walk down the street and go to the store. And now it's like parents are like hovering. And and partly it's because cultures change and things have become more dangerous, which is really sad, which is why I think more people should live on farms like you, because then they can go outside and go play. but, in any case, it these four components the legs, the dog's legs, we call it um and this is all this has all been put together by a really amazing professional named Kim brophy. um this is her brainchild, and it is just this growing, amazing movement of dog professionals we've got veterinarians on board, we've got shelter professionals we've got um Livestock. I mean, we have people who are bird specialists and all kinds of stuff. It's not just dogs' legs. I mean, I say it's dogs' legs because that's my species, but you can apply this to any living creature, really, right? Oh. Um, we have to remember what these animals were bred for, what they're meant to do. One of the women that is part of the group, who's a really active part of the group, is a um, her specialty is a cow veterinarian. Cows are her species. And this really comes into play a lot of the time that she can help the farmers that she works with, with reducing stress behaviors in her cows, right? Um, improving their health and and looking at um, a variety of things. It's just a really interesting, uh, interesting growing field.
1: I, this is just fascinating because I, you know, having been involved with agility for so long, and I will tell you my last dog, Sanchez, who rest in peace dog, you see the painting reminded of him up here. I retired him from agility when he was seven, because he told me I'm done. I, you know, I don't want to do this. And it was never his thing the way it is with Gina, but you know he he did it for the treats but when he was seven he was like no i don't want to do this anymore so you know i listened and i think and and a lot of agility people also do barn hunting with their terriers and i so i've heard like that like wow i like don't even have to train they just do this It's their nature it's like so cool you know agility takes so much training and i sometimes wonder because agility is the large dog it's dominated by border collies who are you know so smart and so athletic and then i think about them, you know herding sheep and they're hurting nature and like how we get them to do this and it's 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 mind blowing to me because they love to work you know border Kelly we you know Kirsten has border Kelly and and I have one actually living here now I just fallen in love with him, and it's like just so fun to just they're just so teachable and they want to do everything, but I do think about it, it's just so interesting that agility is not part of their nature. So how do we actually get, and and you watch an agility trial and you see these border collies, it's Disneyland. I mean, they're just like, just obsessively happy. Like they're, they're only not happy when they're not running. You know, they want to be running. So how is it that we kind of do that?
0: Well, it's interesting. Border collies are so sensitive they're so sensitive to any change in their environment, right? Which is why they're successful because even if one sheep strays off, even just two or three feet, they notice that something's not right and they are able to go in. Now, a really good border collie takes direction from their handler, their human handler. And so if you've ever watched a person working sheep, it's the most beautiful, it's like a ballet. It's the most choreographed, beautiful thing you've ever seen. And what they do is they are cueing the dog, um, with a combination of cues. I don't call them commands. Cause I think that's bossy and rude. Yeah. So I, we call them cues and these cues can be verbal and they could use, you know, "hup," you know, or whatever it is they say. Um, But then they can also use a series of whistles instead because that carries a further distance. Or they can use hand signals, you know, and they can tell a dog who's out of earshot. If they put, for example, their arm up, that could be a long distance down. Like, okay, I need you to stop right now. Dead in your tracks. Boom. You know, that, that could be if the dog sees them. So border collies are really sensitive to those kinds of cues. And I think if you think about it, agility, they're not chasing something, but they're moving the way you're asking them to move. Right. And so much of agility is you telling the dog yeah. where to go,
1: how and to really go. Really, they are move. chasing something. They're chasing their handler. If I mean, if the handler's yeah. fast enough, they're chasing
0: their yeah. Oh my gosh. I've seen, <laughs> I know a woman who competes with her chihuahua. She's gone to World Cup before with this chihuahua. That's it's, unusual. It's crazy. And... um. And she's posted videos of it. And I just, it's hard to even see the dog. It's like a streak. I mean, it's remarkable, but the jumps are like so little and yeah. it's so cute, <laughs> like the <laughs> cutest thing. The dog's name is Jelly Bean. Oh, um, I think Jelly Bean, maybe Jelly Bean's not. She also has border collies. Maybe, I don't know. I'll have to look because it's really cute and her videos are really fun to watch. But in any case, I think, you know, when you get a dog like a Chihuahua, then I really wonder, like, how is it that? this is the sport that they excel in. And I think at the end of the day, it's about relationships with their handler that they have such a bond and they love to work as a team with their handler because in agility, the handler's enthusiasm is contagious. Everybody's yelling and so excited and happy. I mean, you know, there's sore sports in any, in any athlete, uh, you know, sport, but like the, you're happy, you're excited, your dog's, working with you, working for you. And then you, so celebrate and, Yeah, you know, you're jumping up and down and the dog leaps in your arms. I mean, it's like the sweetest thing. Um, but not all dogs have the energy, right? Not all dogs. Right. First of all, not all dogs care that much what you think. And that's okay right. too. Yeah. Um, and some dogs don't have that much vim and vigor to go, go, go. And right. speed is not a concern. Um, there are a lot of terriers that like agility also because of course, yeah, really are connected, excuse me, to their people. But it is interesting to find different things. So, for example, you would never find a basset or probably a beagle excelling in agility because their bred to use their noses. And I would assume that the agility field is full of different dog scents or whatever. And so their priority will be to discover or follow the scent as opposed to, you know, and so I love that there's different options. So for any person who wants to bond with their dog, we can look at who their dog is. And then what we can do from there is think, okay, maybe you could think about search and rescue. That would be amazing. Let's put that nose to good use and let's find a lost kid or, you know, let's, whatever it is, you know, you could even do search and rescue for lost pets. Sometimes it's really sad at the end. You might find a pile of bones or something, which happens, but, but at least a person gets closure because of the gift you're giving them. Right. Right. They know, right. Right. They know what happens. Um, So tracking is a really important thing. Um, But I don't know. I mean, seeing Pippin light up today, it was almost, You know, he got as excited as he gets when he has a ball, which is this weird obsessive, it's almost obsessive. So I do think that I need to like, you know, we need to do it in small bursts. We need to take breaks. We need to, you know, okay, I have to put the rat away because he was so excited. He'll he'll just keep going. Well, he was, when he finally figured out that the tube that had the rat in it was like, you know, the ultimate thing, then he was trying to pick it up. He was trying to carry it around. He was trying to like, it was hilarious. And I'm like, honey, there's a living sentient being inside this tube. So we're not going to do that. We're going to like, we're going to keep it level. We're not going to pick it up and tip the rat over. And, you know, and some of it is just normal. Like he would dig at the straw next to it or around it, but he was really, he figured out and he got so excited. He didn't want to, he didn't want to let the tube go. So at one point, (laughs) <laughs> the woman who was teaching me was almost playing tug with the tube. She had one end of the tube, and Pippin had the other end of the tube, and he was doing terriers. I mean, many love to play tug, and they sound vicious, and they're like, Arr! and he loves to shake. It's part of the kill shake predatory sequence, right, really. Right. Gina, he was trying to like do it. this with the tube. And so I had to go over with my high value treat and we did a trade. And I was like, honey, you got to drop the tube. And so then we put the rat and the rat was done for the day. Obviously, after yeah. that, I was like, oh. But my God.
1: Is his nature, though, given uh, yeah. to the topic you're talking about, is really to get to the rat. It is to get
0: yeah. to the rat. Yeah. Yep. He wanted to get to that rat. Yeah. Um, his predatory sequence is not complete. Because he has caught little things before, not much, like lizards and stuff. The predatory sequence, you know, it starts with like an eye stalk, you know, and you're looking, you have to see it, and then it's a chase, bite, shake, kill, and then it eventually goes to consume, right? And Pippin doesn't, he doesn't have the full sequence, so he won't consume it, but he will kill things, right? Um, and so it, we have to take ultimate Precautions to ensure that that might not happen. But that sequence that I know that this dog has that intact predatory sequence means also that I have to influence how I interact with him when we're out in the world. So we like to go hiking and I have had him off leash before. But if I have him off leash in a season like now where there are chipmunks or ground squirrels everywhere, there is no way that I can do anything valuable enough to get him right. to come back to me as opposed to going after those creatures and he is hyper attached to me right so in the snow when we were on the same trail he could be off leash and he could he he really wouldn't go very far he'd trot around a little ahead of me or a little behind me but he was just with me but now I had him off recently there was a man I met on the trail and his havanese by the way was hiking with him off leash and I thought okay there're no roads And there are no coyotes right now. It was the middle of the day, not a coyote time, no roads. I did not think anything could kill Pippin. So I let him off the lease. And there were just too many chipmunks. And so I had to be really calm and really patient. And I had to go towards him, but I didn't chase him. And I waited. And he did come to me. And I told him he was the best boy in the world because he did come to me, even though there were chipmunks. It just was not on my timeline. It was on his timeline. Right. And then I just was like, That was my mistake, my handler error. I gave him a ton of treats for coming to me. And then I just popped the leash back on and we kept on our walk. And I was like, okay, lesson learned,
1: right? Right, so you knew how to do that because you're a skilled trainer. I imagine that's challenging when you have clients who don't know those steps to take.
0: You You know, it really can be. I think that society... And social media. I think I blame a lot of stuff on social media. I have to tell you. I mean, you and I love social media because it's how we grow our businesses and it's how we reach people, and it's a great platform for education. But I also blame a lot of things on social media. And I do too. You know, and my my clients are parents who already have enough guilt, right? Parenting guilt is a very significant um, thing that. Parents are going through, and they are judging themselves constantly. Am I good enough? Am I failing? Am I gonna? Am I a decent enough partner? Am I? How do I split my attention between my dog and my kids and my partner or my spouse or my parents, my aging parents or whatever? And it's really easy to feel like you suck at all of it. And you see something on social media, which is a family and their off leash dog, and everybody's together, and their dog is being quote perfect, and it makes you feel. T- terrible. And I'm putting myself in that bucket too, that I can't have my dog off leash and have it be reliable. And that's a really inappropriate expectation because I have to know, I have to think about my dog's legs and I have to know I've got a terrier who is going to hunt. It'd be like me letting a greyhound off leash when there's a rabbit running by. I mean, come on. It's absolutely inappropriate to expect that a sighthound is not going to go after a rabbit. Right. It's just not right. a reasonable expectation. So there's
1: a mixed sight hound that lives here and he kills squirrels. There's a lot. Oh, of course he does. He just like, he'll be like, um, Judith was joking. Just, like the other day it was, so I was like, oh, I'm so hot. I can't go outside. And then he sees a squirrel and he just takes off. Like, yeah. So that's oh. the dog's truth, right? It's that's just it is. Absolutely. The
0: dog's truth. I'm glad you said that. So the dog's truth is the name of a course. It's an hour long course. That talks about legs, but it's really good. It it shows dogs doing what dogs do and it breaks dogs into different groups. These are not that necessarily the same groups that the American Kennel Club has things neatly classified into groups. These are slightly modified groups. A lot of them are the same, right? Terriers are terriers, toys are toys. But she groups things a little bit more differently when it comes to bully breeds, when it comes to guardian breeds, etc. But she breaks it down into, I think it's 10 different groups and really talks about what you'll love about living with this dog and what might be challenging living with this dog. And all of that is to reset people's expectations of the dog that they find themselves living with, because you need to know who you're living with so that, oh, there's the puppy. You need to know who you're living with so that you don't put them in a situation like letting them off the leash and then failing. And then God forbid, getting mad at them because they did what they were supposed to do, which is go hunt. That's not fair to the dog. And so a lot of our dogs can be, um, I don't know, persecuted, so to speak. Some dogs literally are euthanized for the mistakes that we set them up to make because we think all dogs are the same and they're really not. And a lot of what we think of as problems are just normal dog behavior of a dog doing what it's supposed to do. And so this movie, The Dog's Truth, it's a course. She breaks it into tiny segments, and so that it's very easy to watch. Like you know, one segment maybe ten minutes. One segment is two minutes, etc. Very easy to digest. Um, really gives you it, it. It opens your eyes, and it makes you think. Oh, I've got a lab. I wonder if Gina would benefit from some time in the water. And I wonder if maybe that might be decompressing and relaxing for her because labs historically have spent time retrieving ducks out of water. Huh. Maybe she would really enjoy that. Right. I'm using that as an example, just because you have a lab, but one of my very, very good friends is a trainer, her client, Took the class, Dog's Truth, and instantly booked a session where they went to the beach together for their training session. And she asked my friend to help teach her dog to swim. It was the cutest thing ever. Aww. Because the dog then
1: <sighs> felt right. satisfied. Like, right, exactly. Yeah. 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 Really. And amazing. I will also tell you, I just want to add to that. So, because being a former puppy raiser for Guide Dogs for the Blind, so Sanchez, my rest in peace dog, and Gina, seven years apart, could not have been more opposite personalities. Just could not have, like in every possible way, yet they had the same breeding. They're actually somewhat related. So that happens too. Like, you know, when you I got to that part at the beginning, when you said so often we compare our dogs to our previous dog or our childhood dog, whatever, every dog, no matter what their breed is, they're both full Labradors, but Mm -hmm. so opposite.
0: And it's neat, you know, for people of mixed breed dogs, which is a huge amount of people, you get a dog from a shelter, they tell you it's a lab mix. Yeah, right. And I know this because I was one of the people at the shelter who helped to evaluate dogs and try to pinpoint what the breed was. We just make our best guess. And our best guess, a lot of the time, is very wrong. And a lot of those lab mixes are actually pity mixes or some other mix that you have no idea. So I love recommending that people take a DNA test, have their dog take a DNA test, you know? Um, And uh, the brand Embark tends to be the best one, gets the best results. Um, One pro tip though, for people who have multiple dog households is that if they have a shared water bowl, and you do the DNA test after they've had water, they could pick up the DNA from the other dog in the house. So we recommend that um, that you do it first thing in the morning when they very first wake up before they get the water. So you know that the D- the cells that you swab are that actual dog's
1: So cell. interesting, I never knew
0: that. Because a lot of people make that mistake and the tests are not that inexpensive. And so I don't want you to have to spend the money buying more tests because right. you probably will just give up. Or you'll be like this is garbage because it's obvious my dog, it doesn't have any Great Dane in it, but your other dog is a Great Dane. So that's what happened.
1: Well, I think currently it's appropriate because currently I think myself and Sammy are the only members who are not multi-dog households. I think everyone else is. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it's just fun. And the benefit of having a DNA test is that then when you look at the dog's truth and you look at the dog's legs, you actually know what you're dealing with. So when you're looking at a dog who has especially 30% or more of any one particular group of those 10 groups that I talked about in the class, um, you start to see these behavior patterns that fit that group. right? And so when you see a dog and you find out, oh, you're 50%, German Shepherd, oh, that explains so much of your behavior because you're protective and you're reactive to other dogs when you hit social maturity and all these other things, right? And those things are predictable. And a, and a dog professional, when you bring us in, will talk to you about normalizing some of the things you're seeing and saying, look, these are actually breed specific behaviors and I know they suck, but let's talk about how to deal with them. But I need you to know that it's normal and your dog is normal. Right. You haven't ruined your dog. Right.
1: Right. And, that's and that makes a people feel so much better. Yeah, exactly. Good. Was that fascinating or what? I learned a ton. How about you? Are you thinking of your dog maybe a little differently now? I love her statement that some problems are normal behavior for that dog's breed. We just see them as problems. What insight. How fascinating. If you'd like more of these guest expert interviews that we bring to the Dog Gone Calm Club, I've got so far at least a dozen more. And let me know if you'd like these more often than once a month, if you'd like them less often. You can email me, lisa at myzenpet.com, or feel free to DM me on any of the social channels. If you'd like a free tips guide on using music to calm your dog's anxiety, you can find a PDF at myzenpet.com forward slash tips, and that link is also in the show notes. You know what would make my day? Not only make my day, but make other dog's days, you know how easy it would be for you to help improve the lives of dogs worldwide? Leave us a review at MyZenPet, Pet, the podcast. Particularly on Apple Podcasts, it really helps, and this podcast is global. We are charting in a lot of international countries, and it really will Help get the word out to dog lovers and help improve the lives of dogs. Thank you so much for leaving that review. There's a link to how to do that, that Gina, my 13-year-old Labrador, shows you how to do, and there's a link to that from an Instagram video, and that is also in the show notes. If she can do it, you can do it. Also, sharing with your dog-loving friends. That's another way to spread the word about the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I know there's a million things you could be doing with your time, and I so appreciate that you spend some of it here. This is Lisa and Gina, and we are sending Out.